Good morning, everybody. Are y'all ready for church? It just reminds me of that. What was that commercial? Are you ready for some football? Are you ready for some church? You're like, no, but I want the food after church. I know where y'all are. I get it. I get it. No. Why don't you stand with me uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you and praise you, God, for the uh, just how awesome you are. Lord, I pray that you would um, meet with us today as we look to your word, as we try to figure out uh, what material possessions have to do with prayer. It sounds weird. It's kind of odd. But uh, as we look through it, hopefully it will help us to understand it a little bit better. Lord, we ask that uh, uh, you would bless our service today. Uh, as we sing our, our songs of worship that will come from a heart of worship, as we give of our tithes and our offerings, it's not because we have to or it's expected of us, because we get to another act of worship. And as we listen to your word, that we would actively focus on what you want us to learn and not just learn it, but to be doers of that word. Lord, I, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for uh, the beautiful day you have given to us. Lord, we just want to give you the praise and glory that is due your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. uh, So today we're celebrating Thanksgiving and Veterans Day. And so we're going to start off with uh, a patriotic song uh, up on the screen or in the bulletin, My Country Tis of Thee. continue singing. We're going to lift up our voices in praise. Page 337, Praise to the Lord the Almighty.
much look around and say, hey, good to see you today. Good morning. And you may be seated. Sorry, Howie, I don't mean to laugh. Well, that's good. I, I appreciate If you didn't know, Howie looked back at my son Nathan and said, Hey, good to see you. My name's Howie. And he's like, uh, What's your name? And he goes, My name's Nate. And uh, he's like, All right, what brought you here? Or something to that effect. He goes, He's my dad. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry to embarrass you there, Howie. No. Oh. All right. So, as uh, I said, that today... Uh, we are celebrating both Thanksgiving, well, with the dinner and Veterans Day. So right now, I just want to recognize, we want to recognize the uh, uh, those who have served in the armed forces. Uh, if you have, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Well, first off, I'm going to have you all stand, and then we're going to go around. I'd like you to just say uh, what uh, branch of the service you are in and how long you have served in, or roughly. If You might have to add up real quick. I don't know. But uh, if you've served in the military, would you stand? Okay. All right. Ladies first. Awesome. Thank you. Five years. Thank you. Thank you both for your service to our country. had family members that were in the military. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's really bad, Annika. Sorry. She, she, she saw her dad raise her hand. She goes, oh, I guess us too. I didn't know. <laughs> no, we want to thank, we want to thank the, those that have served for us. That's what Veter- Veterans Day is about, honoring those who have served our country that is uh, given a blank check to our country to, to say all the way up to the, the cost of my life, I'm willing to lay down for our, uh, this country. And also it was a great sacrifice for those families as well, uh, for uh, them to not have that loved one around for many years. So uh, thank you all very much for that. All right, uh, quick announcements. Uh, today we've got, the, like I said, the dinner. Um, and then in the bulletin, uh, imagine that I made a mistake. Uh, but uh, the Thanksgiving service is on a Tuesday, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. And that's the 21st, not the 22nd. And therefore, the no Wednesday night prayer meeting is on the 22nd, not the 23rd, because the 23rd is a Thursday. And there wouldn't be a Wednesday night prayer meeting anyway on a Thursday. Um, but that's... That, yeah, and then also we are taking up a love offering for um, one of our missionaries, Jack Merkel. Uh, he is a, a missionary to the Rural Teens of Michigan, and uh, they do a Christmas gift uh, thing. And so we're taking up a love offering in lieu of doing our Operation Christmas Child. So if you've already were planning on doing something like that, uh, and if you haven't gone and bought stuff for it, then uh, go ahead and uh, you know use some of that money that you were planning to buy stuff to fill one of those boxes to to give towards this ministry, uh, just to be a blessing. And that'll be the last day. So uh, if you have an offering uh, for that, you can just write it down on uh, the uh, offering envelopes that are in the pews there. Uh, if you need some, let me know. I can get you some. Um, but that's, uh, that's, that's upcoming here. That's on the, the last day we're going to take it up is on the 26th. December 2nd, ladies' ornament exchange at the paternity's house, the, the, the senior paternity's house, uh, not, not the junior paternity's. Um, and then December 3rd is uh, Make a Joyful Noise into the Lord Christmas Carol Sing uh, from 5.30 to 7. If you're curious about that, you want to possibly get involved, maybe sing. be great. Or play an instrument uh, or, or have a reading of some kind. Uh, if you'd like to do something like that, please see Cheryl and uh, she'll get you all uh, set up for that. Uh, thankful for her setting it up and uh, planning it out. I'm, I think it's going to be a, a wonderful time. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, sing our last song, page 495 in your hymnal. It is, uh, it is well with my soul. 
And um, during this song, we'll also take up our offering. Would you ask God to bless the offering, sir? Amen. Thank you, sir. Um, Junior church is dismissed if there's anyone here for that. Oh, no. Okay. Um, no, Rick, you can't go. Oh. <laughs> he looked at me like, oh, no, what? <clears throat> All right. Uh, turn to First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29 is where we're going to be today. Uh, as you guys are turning there, um, there is flyers for that uh, Christmas carol scene that we're going to be doing, Make a Joyful Noise unto the Lord. Uh, if you want to grab some, uh, hand them out to some friends, some family, uh, whoever, I don't know, uh, random strangers, I don't care. Uh, just give it out. We wanna, we, we'd love to see the church packed out for this. Um, so those are out in the foyer. All right, First Chronicles chapter 29, we are... In our seventh week in this series on prayer, 
and we're going to be talking about material possessions. And you may be wondering, what in the world does material possessions have to do with prayer? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what I spent all week working on this message for. Um, so let's get in here. So the, what we're seeing here in First Chronicles chapter 29 is the final official act of King David, uh, King of Israel. And uh, as the king offers a public, joyful, God-entranced prayer uh, in response to the generosity that God has uh, had with Israel. The Ark of the Covenant represents uh, the, the presence of God to Israel. The Ark rested in the tabernacle, which was a, a tent. Uh, it was not a permanent dwelling place. And that's where they worshipped God and offered sacrifices to Him. David said uh, uh, he saw that place and he saw the place that he was living in and thought that God also needed a permanent place to live in as well, at least for the Ark of the Covenant and those sacrifices. And he said, Lord, I want to build this for you. But uh, God uh, said no. He says, no, you're not going to be uh, doing that. Uh, David was a man of war. He had shed blood. Uh, even though it was a good thing that he desired, it was not what God wanted. And so the Lord did make some very amazing, gracious allowances, though. Uh, God liked David's heart for that desire. And so he revealed to David the detailed plans that he wanted the temple to be built by. And so... Uh, And so God, instead of choosing David to build it, he chose Solomon to build it. And Solomon was David's son. He was the heir to the throne. And uh, then the Lord graciously allowed uh, David to lead an offering to secure uh, the resources that Solomon was going to need to build his temple. And so uh, the people and the leaders, they responded with generosity. And this passage records the offering given by David, his leaders, and the people of Israel for that temple project. And it is estimated that they collected some 375 tons of gold. That's a lot, even for today's standard. Uh, well, not just gold. Gold, silver, and precious stones for the temple. That's a lot. I mean, it's a remarkable uh, uh, offering that was given by the people. So let's look here. Verse number 9 of First Chronicles chapter 29. He says, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because, they had, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. So in response to the generous offering, David begins to pray a prayer that is even more remarkable than the offering that, that, that uh, prompted it. Because it reveals a very theological conviction that led to this generous offering. And so his, his prayer teaches us that a generous hand comes from a godly heart. One day... A mother uh, sent her son to uh, teenage son to go to the floors to pick out some uh, flowers for the, the dining room table. And uh, he didn't want to do that. He's like, I don't want to go buy flowers, Mom. That's just weird. All my friends are going to make fun of me. And she's like, just go do it. And so he's going down there. He's got his head hung down, and he goes and he buys the flowers. And uh, uh, he's just hoping no one would see him so that they would make fun of him. Well, not too long after this young man... What does Bambi say? He was Twitterpated. You know, he fell in love. He saw a girl. And he had absolutely no problem to go back to that exact same florist and to walk boldly with flowers. You know, the ones his mother asked him he was kind of ashamed of. But because he was going to go and buy these for this girl that he really, really liked and stole his heart, he had no uh, objections to it whatsoever. And so with great pride and joy, he carried it home, hoping it would bring this young lady uh, uh, some joy as well. So in the same way, how you manage your money expresses your devotion to God. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot give willingly 
regularly, proportionally, sacrificially, and joyfully without a proper perspective on God, on yourself, and your material possessions. David's prayer teaches us three godly attitudes that we're going to talk about towards material possessions. Three godly attitudes about material possessions. And the first one is a God-exalting worship. Now, I, I read of a story in preparation for this about a, 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 hit, a very poor Hindu individual in Nepal who brought the last of his rice as an offering to his God. And his neighbor said, you, couldn't, you shouldn't do that. You have to live. And this poor man who had given the last of his rice replied, No, I don't have to live, but I do have to worship. That was David's attitude here. That was the nation of Israel's attitude here. When they were given the opportunity to give. This God-centered priority of worship is expressed in the first part of David's prayer. Look at verse number 10. He says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. David stood before the assembled nation of Israel, and he blessed the Lord with high praise. I mean, if the media was there, they would have covered this event and they would have highlighted his successes and they would have said this was all as a result of David's wonderful leadership, the people's sacrifice, the economy was strong, and all that jazz. Uh, But that's not what happened. David blessed the Lord for the offering that they gave without denying the willful, wholehearted generosity of the people. David gave God the highest and the full credit for the offering. Look at what it said. He said in the latter part of verse 10, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. David did not bless God for the special events that occurred that particular day. He said that, uh, he said that good and wonderful things should be said about God all the time. You say, well, where did it say that? Where, it said, where he said forever and ever. This ought to remind us of what Jesus taught us about the true worship. In John chapter 4, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman, and he says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper, worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So we ought to bless God for what He has done for us, but we also ought to bless God beyond for what He does for us. As uh, the author of the book that I based a lot of this uh, uh, message on, the the series on, uh, H.B. Charles, he said this in the book, he says, True worship does not bless God merely because you have received a blessing or because you're trying to get a blessing. True worship blesses God because God is God. That's what worship is all about. Saying that God is God. He is the God of everything. And this attitude recognizes that no matter what my personal situation may be, you could be on a high on a mountain. Not high. Okay. Um, you could be uh, a great, you know, successful, happy, wonderful moments up on a mountain. Or you could be in the depths of depression and despair. But no matter where you are, You're worshiping God because God is God. God is worthy to be praised forever and ever. Look at verse number 11 here. Uh, David explains why we should bless the Lord forever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, let me explain God's worthiness of worship to you in two simple statements. Why we ought to worship Him. Because God is great. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is great? Verse 11 tells us that God is great because He is self-sufficient. That's why He's great. He doesn't need anybody else. Well, I, I jumped ahead there. David declared that God is great, He's powerful, He's glorious, He's majestic for one simple reason, because He owns everything. Everything in heaven, everything on earth. David says in Psalm 24, verse 1, he says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So God is great because He's self-sufficient. Also, along those exact same lines, is God is great because He doesn't need anything from anyone. Whatsoever. He has everything. He needs nothing. So uh, maybe you have been told uh, um, some misinformation by, by a pastor or something that God needs your offerings. No, He doesn't need your offerings. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need you. Oh my goodness, that sounds like it's blasphemy, but it's not. God doesn't need you, but He chose you because He loves you. God doesn't need anything from anyone. Verse 11 also tells us that God is great because He is absolutely sovereign. That means He is ruler over everything. King David will relinquish his throne to his son Solomon, but before he does, David acknowledges that the kingdom does not belong to him. It does not, the kingdom of Israel does not belong to him. It doesn't belong to his son or any mortal being. It belongs to God in heaven who is the sovereign head of all creation. So God is worthy of our worship because God is great. But not only that, God is also good. David's next statement teaches that our great God is also a good God who shares generously from His infinite resources. In verse number 12, David addresses several fundamental questions about life that you may be wondering about. How does a person become rich? David's answer through God. How does a person reach a place of honor in his or her life? David's answer, God. How does a person become great? David's answer, by God's help. How does a person become strong? David's answer, with God's help. God alone is the source of all riches, all honor, all greatness, and strength. James puts it this way in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's David's grand declaration that God is great and God is good and we ought to worship Him because of it. So how should we respond to these two glorious attributes of God? Maybe you learned a prayer for food when you were little. Um, you know, it goes something like this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for this food. If you know that God is great and God is good, you should not spend your life fussing and complaining and whining about your situation. Ouch. But that's the truth. You ought to thank God for the life that you have. You say, well, it's not exactly what I wanted. So, God gave you this life, and you ought to thank Him for it. Well, you ought to thank Him for your health. We say, well, I don't know. I've got some problems. You know, I've got this issue and that. God, you are alive, right? You got up, all of you this morning, physically was able to get up this morning. Thank the Lord for that. Thank, for the Lord, thank the Lord for the health that you have. Thank Him for the strength that you have, the food that you have, the clothing that you have, the shelter that you have, the grace, the mercy, the love, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank Him for all of those things. And if you know that God is great and God is good, you ought to offer a joyful praise to Him. That was David's conclusion. Look at verse number 13. He says, Now therefore... Our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. All of this is how we have a godly attitude towards our material possessions by 
ex- have a God-exalting worship, understanding that it's, it's all His already. The second uh, attitude that we ought to have when it comes to material possessions is having a God-centered humility. A God-centered humility. When we receive gracious gifts from God, but refuse to give generously back to God, that is an expression of sinful pride. In verse number 14, David contrasts uh, God's infinite greatness and our absolute dependence upon Him with this challenging question. Verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Now, that's a rhetorical question, okay? Sometimes I ask questions and they're rhetorical questions. Sometimes I ask questions and I want a response. And that's why sometimes I have to put up my little sign for y'all to respond to me, all right? But I'm going to answer it. You don't have to answer it, okay? I'm going to answer it for you. What is... You know, when he says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? David is saying he's a nobody and his people are nothing. And and let me just tell you, David's not expressing this low self-esteem, okay, Um, when when he talks like this. He's expressing a high God-esteem. Look at the rest of the verse. For all the things come from you and you and of your own we have given you. So getting your theology of life right is is as simple as riding a seesaw. Y'all remember riding seesaws? Anybody not ride a seesaw here before? Okay, so y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, a seesaw. Um, okay, so Katie's having to explain to Reba what a seesaw is. I'm so sorry for you, Reba. You've missed. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You you miss some as you're up in the air and someone jumps off. You miss that, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, but a seesaw, you know, you got two people, one on each end, one on the other. They're, they push each other up, and you're going up and down. That's the seesaw. Okay. Um, and only one person can be up at a time. If this guy's up, then this guy's down, and vice versa. If this guy's up, this guy's down. In the same way, our well, I should say, it's the same way in our life. Either God is exalted and you humble yourself, or God is dishonored down here and you exalt yourself. That's that seesaw of life. And, and let me just tell you, God dishonored and us exalted is not the way He wants it. Humility is the best friend that you could have. And that's what keeps God where He belongs. He is exalted. He is the greatest. He is amazing. And you are nothing And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, we are nothing in comparison to God. But when we let... We get too big for our britches and we're like, well, you know, I did a lot to help God out there. You know, well, God got a really good deal when He got me. God is being dishonored and we are exalted in our pride. So, the opposite of humility is pride. And that's the worst enemy that you can have. David knew this. He recognized that the generous offering he and his people had given did not put them on God's level. It did not put God into their debt. It did not make them uh, any more special to God because of what they gave. Jesus instructed his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. You say, what does that mean? That is supposed to be our position uh, toward anything that we do that is right. That we are unworthy servants of what God has already blessed us with. The Lord doesn't owe you a single thing. We have... We've only done our reasonable service, the least that we could do when we obey Him. How much more should this be the case in light of the fact that we are not, that we have not done all that the Master has commanded us to do? 
David asked, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to, so offering, to offer so willingly as this? Then he clearly stated the point that he was trying to make by stating this often forgotten truth. The last part of that verse. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. You see, God is the source of everything that we possess, everything that we receive, everything that we enjoy. David knew his possessions belonged to God. And Paul amplifies that in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, that for, from, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You see, God is the first cause. He is the effective cause, the final cause of all things. God is the source. He is the sustainer the, the, uh, uh, and the significance of all things. God is the source, uh, the, the force and the, and the course of all of those things. God is the Alpha and the Omega and every letter in between. This is the most fundamental principle of Christian stewardship. You ready? It ain't yours. Because God owns it all. God owns everything. We own nothing. Not the house, not the car, not the toothbrush. It all belongs to God. And whenever we give to God, we are only giving back to God a portion of what He has blessed us so tremendously with. And we're giving back to Him what already belongs to Him. So when we begin to think to ourselves, do I really have to give that much to God? We're thinking about that matter all wrong, okay? The truth is that God allows us to keep so much of His money. We've got to change our thinking, right? We've got to change that. That God lets us keep so much. It all belongs to God. Furthermore, our lives are sustained by God. If you ever go for a walk and you end up seeing a turtle on a fence, now I've never done this, but uh, I, hear, I heard about turtles on fence posts. Here's something. You don't have to ask how in the world did that, fence po did that turtle get up on that fence post because, number one, that turtle did not crawl up there, okay? Number two, that fence post did not grow underneath it. I know turtles are slow, but they're not that slow, okay? Uh, um, that you know, it didn't grow up underneath him. He got there because somebody else put him there. He didn't get there by himself. And that is the fact of life that we all need to come to grips with no matter where we are in our life. We're not self-made people. We're not independent people. We're not self-sufficient people. God is the one that sustains us. God is the one that got us there. You say, well, I wish I was hoping I would be in a better place by this point in my life. Or I wish I would have done this or that. You know what? You're exactly where God wants you right now. There's a reason. There's a purpose behind it. I don't know what it is. I'm not God. But no matter where you are, you give Him the praise. You give Him the glory. So, David now, he moves from praise to something else. He starts confessing to God in this prayer. Verse number 15. He says, For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as we all our fathers, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. What David is saying here, he makes these two statements to affirm the truth that God sustains our lives. First off, he says, We're aliens and, and pilgrims. Now, we're not talking the little green guys, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Uh, um, but David viewed himself and he viewed his, his nation as resident aliens that are living in a land that is not their own, that they were strangers in, that they were sojourners in before God. That is, God didn't owe them anything. Likewise, David said, our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. This truth about the brevity of life is constantly repeated in Scripture. You can go to Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, Psalm 90, verse 9, James 4, 14. We are weak creatures who are sustained by an everlasting Lord of life.
And anything that we do for the Lord, anything that we give, it all comes from God. Our generosity is imparted to us, is given to us by God. Hey, we're stingy people, right? It's one of the ugly realities of our fallen nature. One of the first words that children learn is mine. Right? Mine. You know, even if it's not theirs, it's mine, you know? Um, and, and that's how we all are. We are naturally acquirers. We're not donators. We are naturally reservoirs, not rivers. Get all you can uh, and then can all you get and then sit on that can so you don't have to share it with anybody else. It's all mine. It is only the sovereign grace of God moving in our hearts that causes us to give away what we have rather than hoarding it for ourselves. Look at verse number 16. David affirms this. He says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. He's like, God, it was already yours, but we're just giving it back to you. So that's the second attitude that we ought to have when it comes to material possessions. The first one, God-exalting worship. And then God-centered humility. It's His already. And the third one, God-honoring trust. Trust that God knows your heart. Towards the end of this prayer, David states a very fundamental theological principle that ought to shape how we think and how we live. Look at verse number 17. He says, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. Did you know that you can fool people? Did you know that? I have fooled you all to think that I'm a good pastor. You can fool people. You can trick them to make them think something that's not true. You can fool people, but you cannot fool God. You can even fool yourself. Oh, I can handle that. I don't need the instructions. Right? But you cannot fool God. Why? Because God knows your heart. The Lord told Samuel back in 1 Samuel 16, He says, For the Lord does not see as men sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God knows your heart. And He uses money to test what's in your heart. And let me tell you, the Lord is not testing you to discover what's in your heart because He already knows that. He tests us to reveal to us what is in our heart. Do you see the difference between the two of those? God is not saying, wow, I wonder how he's going to do this. God knows everything. He already knows how we're going to respond to it. He tests us to show us how wicked our heart is on its own. How you spend your money is a true, objective, and independent monitor of where your heart is. Many times the Lord gives us more than... uh, more than what he knows we need as a test to reveal what's in our heart. Over in Luke chapter 16, he says, uh, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches, I'm sorry, who will commit to your trust the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God knows your heart and he uses money to test to test us, to reveal to us what's in our heart. Verse 17 tells us what God is looking for in your heart, that He takes pleasure 
and uprightness. God is pleased when He sees sincerity, purity, authenticity, integrity, and godliness within our hearts. And one of the clearest ways that it, uh, this is shown is by what we do with the money that God entrusts us with. If your heart is set on money and not God, He sees that. And He's like, well, you got your heart all wrong. But if your heart is set on God and not money, He sees that as well. And that pleases him. David knew this, so he confessed to the rest. Uh, he confesses in the rest of verse 17. He says, As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I am willf- willingly offered all these things. And now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. First, David speaks for himself and says that he has given with an upright heart, he has not given with ulterior, uh, ulterior motives such as to win the applause of people or to receive a blessing from God. And then he speaks for his people. He vouches for their upright heart because he has seen them given freely and joyously. An upright heart is going to give freely and joyously. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Trust that God knows your future. He knows. This prayer that David gives to us is such a great example for our own prayer lives. But it's not until David gets to verse number 18. We've talked about this before, how, how much uh, praise that uh, we ought to be giving and then uh, uh, you know we even do some confession in there. Uh, and, and it's all the way until this point that he waits to ask God for something. Very specific requests. Verse number 18. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your fa- our fathers... Keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. You see, in these final verses, David's prayer, he prays for the future of Israel. But David doesn't make a lot of prayer requests here. He, you know, it's not about the political or the economic or military or physical or geographical issues that Israel uh, would, would face and are still facing today. Let's just be honest. He simply prays that the godly attitude that was demonstrated in their genero- generosity would continue in the days to come. He prays that God would keep their hearts set on him. And he prays for Solomon, his son, his successor, that God would give him a wholehearted obedience to the will and the word of God. And as David is about ready to pass off the scene to die, he prays for the future generation. His major concern is not, oh, man, Lord, keep them, uh, keep those uh, Philistines away from them, or keep those other guys away. No, it wasn't that. Oh, Lord, enlarge my. No, it wasn't enlarge my coasts. It wasn't any of that. It was God, help them keep their love of you through their life that they would keep their hearts set on Him. He prays. He prays for them that their hearts would stay right and they would continue to be obedient to God. David trusts the future into God's hands, confident that if the people's hearts are right, God is going to take care of them. Also take note that he does not leave that to chance. He prays that God would keep their hearts and make their hearts fully obedient. You know, you can have the same confidence today. If you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. And I believe that with all my heart. If you give yourself to God, God will take care of you. You say, well, how can you know that? Because His Word promises that. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Psalm 40, verse 31. But those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Well, you're like, oh man, everything I want? God, no. You look into that passage. They're like, well, where are we going to eat? And where am I going to stay? And where's the clothes going to come from my back, you know, to cover my back? Where is that all coming from? And this is the response that Jesus gave to them. Seek first the kingdom of God and you seek His business, you, you, you submit to Him, you do what He is calling you to do, and God will take care of you. All these things will be added to you. And it, it may not be the, the high-priced stuff that you were hoping for, but God's going to supply your need. How many of y'all like steak? A good, oh, a good... Uh, Ribeye steak. I love ribeye steak. Ribeye steak or uh, the, the little one that's extremely expensive. Filet mignon. Good. Oh, it's yummy. It's wonderful. That's what I want. But all I need may just be a turkey burger. The more that we grow in the Lord, the more we realize, yeah, that's something that would be nice. But you know what? God, thank you for this stinking turkey burger. <laughs> Be thankful for what God has blessed you with. He's not going to leave you in want. He's going to provide your needs. You say, well, he didn't provide in this particular area. Well, maybe what he was providing is that you could learn to live without it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Give yourself to God and just watch how God's going to take care of you. You can't. It's amazing how it works. I don't always understand it, but he's always right. So what are you going to do this morning? Are you ready to give it all to him? Say, God, you're in control. I submit to you. Are you going to continue being selfish, sinful? You say, wow, that, that's really my only two options? Biblically speaking, yeah. It's up to you. But let me tell you, as you have a right attitude towards the things of this, of this earth, that it's already God's, it helps us to understand that we don't have to hold on so tightly. And we're willing to give. We're willing to help. Give yourself to God and just watch how God takes care of you. Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for all that you have given to us. Lord, you have blessed each and every person in this room beyond measure. No, it may not be all equally, but that's not the point. The point is that you have blessed us tremendously. Lord, I pray that you help us to look for that. I mean, if, if we want to, we can always find the bad things if that's what we're looking for. But Lord, help us not to look for those things. Help us to look and appreciate the good things that you have done for us so that we could be thankful to you. So that we be willing to give whatever you ask of us because you have already blessed us tremendously. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its challenge. I pray that you help us all to put into practice the way we ought to pray and the way that we handle those physical things, those physical possessions that we own. Thank you, God, for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for sending your Son to die on a cross in our place so that we could have eternal life. And that just barely scratches the surface of what all you've done for us, Lord. You're amazing. Thank you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation, page 607.
I don't know what your need is. I don't know what God is working on your heart, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. So uh, let's uh, sing this. for being here. Um, appreciate you all. Um, please stick around. There is 55 pounds of turkey. Well, at least that was the before the bones, you know, with the bones, with the bones. So uh, please stick around. There is more than enough, and then take some home, okay? Um, enjoy one another's company. Fellowship one with another. Uh, and... Uh, I pray that God continues to, to work in your heart over the message today as well. Let's, uh, let's uh, pray. Let's close our service. And uh, I'm going to uh, ask uh, Hugh. That's your name. Sorry. I'm looking at you like, who are you? Sorry, Hugh. <laughs> Would you close our service and ask God to bless the food?